0: Good morning. Please leave your Bibles open to John chapter 13. We ask that God will bless the reading and preaching of his word. In taking the bread, which is to us Christ's body, and in drinking the fruit of the vine, which is to us his blood, we are obeying his commandments that were given in the upper room the night that he was betrayed. This morning, I want us to look at another commandment that Jesus gave in the upper room. When we look at what is commanded of us, we will understand that it is just as much a commandment as the commandment to take the Lord's Supper. Being a faithful Christian and being a faithful church is as much about being faithful to this other commandment as it is to the one concerning the Lord's Supper. This commandment is given at the beginning of the last evening that Jesus has with the Twelve. Jesus knows that His death is coming. He knows that His enemies have been plotting and working out His destruction. But more important than any of that, He is aware that His Father's plans and work are reaching their goals, are reaching their destination. And His devotion and commitment to those purposes and goals as strong as it ever has been. As we look at this scene and as we remind ourselves of Jesus' commandment, we are reminded of his will for our life together. We are reminded of how much Jesus valued us and how much we are to value each other. We learn a great deal about the life of God's people as Jesus intended it to be. Many of us are so very faithful in living out Jesus' command. But I think all of us need from time to time to be refreshed and encouraged in it. And that is what I hope we will accomplish this morning. Jesus has come to a final Passover. Look again at verses 1 through 5 of chapter 13. His public ministry is over. The hour that has always been in the future is is now here, has now arrived. The arrival of Passover means that it is time for him to complete his earthly work and return to the Father. It is time for goodbye. It is time for final instructions and final words of encouragement. As we read this chapter, we need to keep verse 1 in mind because it's really the capstone or the foundation or what gives this whole passage color. And the reason it's so important is that we're told that Jesus teaches all of these things, does all of these things, because he dearly loved his apostles. He loved Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and the rest. It might be hard for us to comprehend, but he even loved Judas, who would betray him. And Jesus is about to do something that will demonstrate his love for them, and hours later demonstrate it even more completely on the cross. Jesus, that night in the upper room at the nearness of Passover, is moving toward a crisis. But he's not the only one. A meal has been served. And at this meal, there is an uninvited guest. Satan was there. He was there, at least, in the heart of Judas. Satan was already working on Judas' heart to betray Jesus. Jesus faces this evening in the events that follow with two certainties. With two things that, that he is convinced of. One certainty is that God has put all power, all things in his power. Everything is under his authority. And we should understand that to mean that the whole plan of salvation, everything God has been working for through the centuries to work out our salvation now rests in Jesus' hands. It's fulfillment rests on Him. With everything under His power, there will be no unexpected turn of events. Everything will unfold as the Father and the Son have planned it. Jesus is no victim of circumstances. It has become popular in some places to say that Jesus was just at the wrong place at the wrong time, and that couldn't be more mistaken. He was at the right place at the right time doing the right thing that God had planned for our salvation. And he is in charge here. Not Judas, not Caiaphas, the high priest, not Pilate, the governor, and not Satan. And of that Jesus is certain. The second certainty that Jesus knows is that he is returning to the Father. What does it mean to him to be at this point and know that the mission is nearly complete? That he has nearly fulfilled the mission objectives that that God set out for him. He is going to go from this meal to the garden and from the garden to be arrested, to his trial, to his beatings, to the cross, to his death, to the burial, to his resurrection. Because those are the events. Those events are the road home. They are the path home that the Father has set out for him so that we might be saved and that God might be glorified. And Jesus' feet are already on the path. He knows who he is and he knows where he's going. And so knowing that, Jesus does something that is totally unexpected. How do you like being around people that do things that are totally unexpected? Just never predict that. Well, the apostles had no way of seeing this coming. And not only is what Jesus about to do not expected, but it is an embarrassment. They are embarrassed over what Jesus does. And it offends Peter in particular. Jesus rises from the table and he removes his outer clothing. He wraps a towel around his waist. And with the whole of this gospel in mind, we we remember that this is the word that was with God in the beginning. This is the Lord of glory. This is the Son of God. This is the creator of the universe and he looks like a slave. There is puzzlement. Awkwardness. Embarrassment on the disciples' face. Why would Jesus do this? This is humiliating. Why Why would he take the dress of a slave? Why would he shame himself this way? But again, verse 1 plays in the background for us. He did this because he loved them. And he's going to show them the extent of his love. But Jesus is not interested in simply looking like a slave. He has made himself a slave. And now he begins to act as the lowest slave in any Jewish house would act. He begins to perform a duty that was reserved for Gentile slaves because of the great shame that was attached to it. He pours water into the basin. The disciples are reclining and Jesus kneels on the floor. On his knees, he begins one by one to wash the feet of the disciples. Had Jesus asked them to wash his feet, they would have been glad to do it. In fact, they probably would have preferred to do it. I wonder if any of them wanted to grab the basin and the towel and let me do this, let me do this. They're uncomfortable with him doing this. And wouldn't we be? Wouldn't we be uncomfortable if God was washing our feet, kneeling down before us? Well, Peter can't take this. The brave, strong fishermen of Galilee cannot take this. Look at verse 6 through 11. And here we begin to see revealed the meaning of Jesus' action. Jesus comes to Peter and he kneels down to wash his feet. This is Peter who told Jesus to go away because he was a sinful man. This is Jesus, this is Peter who Jesus called Satan because he thought the thoughts of men and not the thoughts of God when he insisted that Jesus would not die on the cross. And once again, Peter is refusing Jesus. He calls Jesus Lord, but he presumes to tell him no. He presumes to correct him. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? If you mark in your Bibles, underline the word my and the word you, because they're emphatic, they're strong words. Peter is so much as saying, no, you are not going to wash my feet. And as he did on so many occasions, Jesus has to stop what he's doing and help old Peter. I know you don't understand what I'm doing, Jesus says to him. But you will in time. But Jesus' assurance that he'll understand at some point bounces off of Peter's heart as if it was a brick wall. And he says again, no, you shall never wash my feet. Never. And at that moment, Peter is about to step over the line. He is about to go too far. He doesn't understand the danger that he has put himself in with his refusal. But Jesus warned you, if I don't wash you, Peter, you have no part of me. You see, Peter is not simply expressing a preference for dirty feet. In refusing to allow Jesus to wash his feet, he is rejecting fellowship with Jesus. He is rejecting a relationship with Jesus. He is rejecting salvation from Jesus. Without Jesus washing, there can be no relationship with him. Peter will not have a part of Jesus. So he stands on the brink. He stands on the brink of being rejected by Jesus. When Jesus says that, he has finally gotten Peter's full and undivided attention. I guess Jesus had to take a two by four to get his attention, at least the verbal one. And Peter clearly gets the point here. Here. Wash my feet and wash my hands and wash my head. Whatever else he's thinking, he cannot bear the thought of not being in fellowship with Jesus, of not having a part of Jesus. But what is Jesus saying about taking a bath and being clean? Once a person has gotten clean by taking a bath, they need only to wash their feet. And Jesus continues to say that the bath isn't necessary. Notice the middle of verse 10. And he continues, you were clean, though not all of you, referring to Judas who would betray him. But how was Peter clean? How could he and the other disciples be considered clean by Jesus? Well, later that evening, and this is recorded in chapter 15 in verse 3, Jesus will say, you were clean by my words. By the words that I have spoken. But here in chapter 13 and verse 10. I believe Jesus is speaking of something else. Jesus' word bath in the New International Version. And washed in the King James Version. Is the common word that is used in the New Testament. For the cleansing that takes place when one is baptized. And comes in contact with the saving power of Jesus' blood as one of our brethren put it so well. On your handout sheet, you will find a list of verses where that word is used in precisely that way. Acts 22, verse 16, 1 Corinthians 6, and verse 11, and so on. Jesus is speaking of their need to be spiritually clean, and that cleansing is only possible when our sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus Jesus washing the disciples is symbolic of the cleansing power of Jesus' death. They are clean. Now, from time to time, they will need their feet washed. As they walk the road of life, the dirt of sin will collect on them. But when it does, the blood of Christ will be available to take care of that. 1 John 1.7 Each of us who are Christians have the same cleansing in our baptism. Each of us who are Christians have been baptized in the blood of the Lamb, and the blood of Jesus. And we have a part in Jesus. We all have fellowship with him. We are part of him. We are in him. And that fact has a very important implication for our life together. It implies that we who are in Jesus share in Jesus together we all have exactly the same standing in Christ. As brethren used to put it, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Not one of us is elevated above the other. Not one of us is better than the other. Not one of us stands higher in Jesus' love than the other. We stand there by the grace of Jesus' blood, not by our matter, by our merit, None of us are better or worse, none more important, none less important. Every one of us are loved by Jesus. And it is His love that is the basis of our relationship with Him. What gives position and prestige and power and influence in the world has no meaning at the foot of the cross. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and all of us have been received into fellowship with Jesus. Not on the basis of what we have done, but on the basis of his saving work. It is so important to be washed by Jesus and to be in fellowship with him. But Jesus insists that his actions imply something else about our relationship with each other. Look at verse 12 through 17. Jesus washes the final pair of feet. He takes off the wet, dirty towel, sets it aside with the basin, dresses, and again takes his place at the table. And he asks the disciples, do you understand? Do you understand what I have done for you? Oh, they, they don't understand the full meaning of what he has done. That won't happen till after the cross. But Jesus is concerned that they get one thing. That they learn one thing out of what has just happened. You call me teacher and Lord, Jesus says, and you're right. That's who I am. But notice how Jesus then switches the two titles as he makes his point. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, Here's the command, here's the charge. So you should wash one another's feet. You should wash one another's feet. You see, there is a basin and a towel with Peter's name on it. And there's one with John's name on it and one with James and for all the rest. Jesus is telling them that there is a place at your brother's feet. There is an opportunity to wash their feet and they are to be washed. As I have loved and served you, love and serve each other. To make sure Jesus, that they get their point, he lays it out for them. I washed your feet and I'm Lord and I'm teacher And what I have done, you must do. You must also wash each other's feet. Now, how do you suppose that went over with Peter and James and John and the rest? These Galileans who thought Jesus was coming to establish a throne and a mighty kingdom and they wanted to sit at the right and the left. And now Jesus says in the kingdom, you're going to be washing feet. That had to be hard to hear. And by the way, how does Jesus' command go over with you? How does it go over with each of us? Because you see, not only is there a basin with Peter's name on it, there's one with your name on it. There's a towel with your name on it. And there are feet for each of us to wash. The fact that Jesus washed the disciples' feet first prevents them and prevents us from protesting and refusing. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, no servant is greater than his master. No messenger is greater than the one who sent him. No disciple, no Christian is greater than Jesus. If I say I'm not going to wash anybody's feet, I'm not going to humble myself and serve anyone, I'm making a claim to be greater than Jesus. I'm declaring that I'm more important than Jesus. That I'm better than Jesus. I'm too good to do that while he could do it. If we say I don't have time, we're too busy, we're saying that our schedule is more important than Jesus' schedule. He stopped in the upper room on the way to the cross to wash those disciples' feet. Now what is on your schedule that is more important than the cross? What on your schedule is more important than what Jesus did for us on the cross? So what is more important than washing each other's feet? Who would say such a thing? Who would have such an attitude? Now here Jesus is not establishing some kind of a ritual as some denominations seem to think. He's not instituting an act of worship like, like singing or taking the Lord's Supper. He's not commanding an act to accompany baptism. What Jesus is doing is calling us to be a loving and humble people who willingly serve each other. Who joyfully and gladly serve each other. Who do that without hesitation. Jesus washed the feet of Andrew, Philip, and Nathaniel, but he also washed the feet of Peter. Who in just a few hours was going to deny him three times. And he washed the feet of Judas, who was going to be trained for 30 pieces of silver. And so when we come to a situation in which we find ourselves not wanting to serve one another, the way to deal with that is simply to ask ourselves, is this person worse than Peter? Is this person worse than Judas? Well, if Jesus could serve them, then we can serve those that we may be reluctant to. Jesus says, at the end, if we know these things and do them, we will be blessed. Jesus blesses footwashers. Our Father in heaven blesses us when we have servant hearts, when we put his kingdom first, when we put our brothers and sisters first and serve. If we wash one another's feet, if we give ourselves in service to each other, without reservation and without distinction, we're not going to worry about who's first or who's more important or who's been here the longest or who gives the most or who has the greatest influence. What will matter most is how we can serve each other, how we can help each other, how much we can love each other and support each other, how we can please Jesus by following in his footsteps. And the truth is that there's there are always opportunities for service. There are always brothers and sisters who need their feet washed. There are always needs. There are some who need your help in some way. Who need your love. Who need your prayers. Who need your encouragement. Who need you to hold their hand. Who need you... To meet other kinds of needs in their life. You know, the bulletin is not just a collection of encouraging articles or announcements. It's a foot washing list. As you read through it, there's all kinds of information about what's going on with each other. Just read it and and you'll have a list of things that you could do. Make a phone call, send a card, take a dish, do something, wash somebody's feet see that bulletin as a listing of opportunities. We have faithful brothers and sisters who serve us, who understand that this is what it means to live a Christian life. And hopefully all of us will come to that attitude and to that action. And if we truly love one another as Jesus loves us, if we are truly concerned about whether our congregation grows if we really care about there being programs for young people and older people, about meeting special needs of various kinds, if we want to discover closer fellowship, well, the way to that in part is to pick up our towel and our basin and wash each other's feet. Stop waiting for somebody to come and wash your feet. Pick up your basin and your towel. If Jesus in loving us could wash feet, surely we can do that for each other. Because we love each other, don't we? We care about each other. We care about what's going on in each other's lives. We care about the hurts and the sorrows and the griefs. And when we attend to those and when we try to serve those, we are being like Jesus. We're expressing love for each other that, that he blesses. And so the encouragement this morning is not to point a finger and say, you're sitting there not washing feet. It's to say that this is the greatest way to live a Christian life. It's a way of enjoying the love and the fellowship that we have with each other. And we just need to keep on going and keep on doing it and making sure that we don't leave anybody out. That we do what we can where we are. That's what's asked of us. And we want to commit ourselves to that and to be that kind of people in that kind of church. We're going to finish now with our song of encouragement. There may be somebody who needs their feet washed this morning. Maybe you need prayer. Or maybe there's some trouble in your life that you need help with. Or maybe you need to do God's will and obey the gospel. We're going to sing in this from our hearts to yours. We invite you to come forward and make whatever your need is known so that we can wash your feet. Won't you come while we stand and sing?